back like we never left. It's Double Move Sports. As always, I'm Steph Albiero. I'm here with a special guest today. It's not Alex. He did not get a complete makeover. It is Mike Liu, an OG friend of the show, guy I've been following for a long time dynasty genius i think this guy's in like a thousand different dynasty leagues mike appreciate you joining i'm so hyped for this episode we're going to talk some dynasty today i know it's a loaded uh playoff slate coming up we got rams packers ravens bills on saturday we got browns cheese my brownies i'm still on cloud nine after that playoff dub and then Bucks saints uh to finish off the weekend but mike how are you doing man you pumped Doing good, man. I'm happy to be on the show. Thanks for having me. You know, we were just talking about this before we hit record, but this is the first pod I ever did. Uh, you know, this is the first one. You guys had me on as a guest. I think it was uh, after I launched that, like, uh, regression thread, the TD regression thread on running backs. Yep. You guys DM me. I'm like, I have no idea who these guys were, but you probably had barely had an idea who I was. And we kind of just linked up. And, you know, that was, a, that was a fun time. And then since then, I think I hopped on for, like, another rookie wide receiver episode, if I remember correctly. Uh, so this is the third time. So a friend of the show, uh, you know, big fan of what you guys have been doing and just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm doing, I'm just chilling, man. I'm just chilling. This is dynasty off season. This is where, this is where the money's made. Uh, this is where the research begins. This is where we really do the grind. This is my favorite time of the season. Cause I don't have to talk about games every week. I can talk about whatever the hell I want, you know? Uh, so it's, it's a good time. And you guys are getting into, I guess your first dynasty off season. So you'll, you'll kind of see too, like on the content side, it's, it's free reign, man. You can talk about whatever you want. Yeah, I'm loving it. I'm loving it from a from a contact, you know, production standpoint. Dynasty is definitely where it's at. That's where we've been pointing, um, at least in terms of directions where we're going. You know, been primarily redraft guys. Um, started a couple dynasty leagues, uh, both as commissioner and joined a few. Took over some orphans, and it's been an absolute blast. Loving the trading, guys. If you aren't in a dynasty league, I know most of the guys who watch us are just pure redraft guys, or maybe just general NFL fans. But if you want to start, you know, making predictions on players, put your money where your mouth is as a NFL fan. Dynasty leagues are where it's at. We're going to get into a bunch of different topics today. Now, Mike, I know you do a ton of your own research. I was whipping out the Excel sheets before we jumped on, so I got a little bit of mine as well. Uh, but before we jump into any of these topics, anything you want to plug, guys, go follow him on Bunk Bed Breakdowns. Uh, but Mike, anything new in the works, uh, obviously follow you on Twitter. I'll put the link in there as well. Yeah, no, nothing to plug. I mean, just here to here to talk shop. I mean, just follow us on YouTube. We've got the bunk bed channel. You know, if you want to talk shit to me on Twitter, hit me up. I'm always responding. Uh, you got questions, hit me up in the DMs. Uh, I try to respond whenever I can. But yeah, not, not much to plug, man. Let's get it. Let's get it. Awesome. So first topic here, one of the most common questions for dynasty noobs, I would still classify myself as, you know, an up and coming, you know, guys moving up the ranks, but still a noob in a lot of aspects. Um, you know, one of the biggest things that we got asked after our dynasty mock, our first dynasty mock that we just put out, guys, go check that out if you have not yet. But one of the biggest questions was from other newer dynasty players is why are you going running back and quarterback in the first round over wide receivers? You know, typically you think of wide receivers as more safer, long-term assets, guys that are going to be able to stay at their peak of production for a much longer period of time. Running backs, we all know, right? They peak at age 25. You know, they can be easily replaced. They're injury prone. So let's kind of talk through why you want to go running back and quarterback in a dynasty league, uh, much like a redraft league. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, conventional wisdom, like back in the day, if you talk to all the OGs and, and whatnot, would have told you that, yeah, you got to go, uh, you know, you got to go wide receiver because they're safer. They got more longevity, yada, 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 whatever reason, you know what? And that, and that could totally work. Right. You know, I've done the draft where I've gone that path and it's worked, but here's a problem. You need running backs to win the league. So you can, you can last as long as you want, but you know, we're trying to get a championship and, you know, dynasty people like to think of it as a marathon. I think of it as like a series of short sprints, a series of short sprints in season followed by a break in the off season. And that's how I like think about my teams because if you don't have running backs, you're just not going to win the championship. And all we care about is winning the championship. So, and all the good running backs and all the good quarterbacks go in the early rounds, right? And people know those positions have more value because the wide receivers are deep. It's deeper than it's ever been. If you look at wide receiver scoring, there just aren't as many like traditional 
massive like target hog guys outside of the Devonte adams you know uh and then you know michael thomas is hurt this year but that type of wide receiver is very rare so not having them not having one of them is not necessarily that big of a deal because not many people have them but having a bunch of wide receivers in like that low end wide receiver one to high wide receiver to low wide receiver two range is actually totally fine to build your team around because the point differential the points per game that advances you're getting from wide receivers is just not that big so even though they last longer their weekly uh advantage that they provide you just isn't big enough to matter so you got to go for positions that are scarce and positions that matter and you know from that perspective i like to go running backs early uh, most of the time just so i can get like that stud workhorse running back and then the other part of it is like I feel like I'm pretty good at identifying wide receiver talent and identifying wide receiver trends, and I'm really good at hitting in that next tier of wide receiver before they become the first tier. So like your boy you T example, Higgins, yeah T Higgins. I I remember I was on the episode. I told you I love T Higgins, and you know he's kind of that next guy where he's still in that like second third tier where he's like a low end wide receiver one which is what most people think of him as maybe even a higher wide receiver two he has not made that leap yet into like the top five right so you don't need to pay top five price for him like last year for me that was like dk metcalf aj brown calvin ridley i targeted all those guys they were going like the third or fourth round of startup drafts and then now if you look at them they're all like wide receiver ones and they're going first second round so that's like the the money maker for dynasty is being able to hit that tier of wide receivers before they become the top tier and that's like just bread and butter. What I do in dynasty is I'm always trading down uh, of those out of those top first round. Like whenever someone is a dynasty wide receiver one, whenever you see that on Twitter, that guy is going on the block on all of my teams. And I'm going to try and trade down into a lesser wide receiver that I think has that potential plus another asset. There's just so much talent at the position. And when you even look at it from the top performing running backs versus wide receivers, wide receivers just way less top heavy. I mean, the difference between just wide receiver 12 and 24 is two points on a points per game basis, right? So you got to get those stud guys. You got to get the ceiling. And guys right now that you can get in startup drafts at like fourth, fifth, sixth round, you can get T. Higgins. You can get Terry McLaurin, Deontay Johnson, Allen Robinson, Amari Cooper, still young guys, ascending guys, proven guys as well. Guys with many more top 12 and, and top 24 seasons left in the tank. And I was looking at over the last five seasons, comparing just RB1s to wide receiver ones. There is not a single season where the wide receiver ones combined, just their average outscored the RB1s on a points per game average. So even if you look at that and then say, okay, you know, there's guys like CMC, Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry, these extreme outliers, super high points per game running backs. Even when you compare to the you know, RB1 to the wide receiver one, still a huge gap there. And there's still a huge gap when you look at every running back to wide receiver, the RB2 to the wide receiver two, so on, all the way down until about eight, RB8, wide receiver eight, that gets a little bit closer. But those top guys, man, there's just a super premium on those names. Yep. Uh, I mean, do you, are you familiar with the concept wins above replacement? There's like a bunch of different guys that calculate it differently, but like basically it tries to measure the impact of like a player. Um, and what you'll see, like this year was actually a little bit of an outlier because we had some pretty monster wide receiver uh, seasons, right? From Devontae Adams, Tyree Kill, and Stephon Diggs. But normally like what you see is like out of the top 12, like wins above replacement, like they're all running backs. And then like, you know, in 2019, Lamar Jackson was there just because of how fucking good he was. Um, but yeah, when you just look at the impact on a per game basis, because like no matter how you play it, redraft dynasty doesn't matter. It's still a week to week game. You got to win your week to week matchups. It just they just don't make as big of an impact. And like there's just so many of them. And like if we look at this incoming class, just another another talented like studly talented class. I mean, if I were to just go off prospects alone, the 2021 class has better prospects than 2020. Uh, the 2021 is better than 2020. Obviously. Yeah, I- now we've seen 2020 play out and it, it has basically been one of the greatest wide receiver and running back classes we've ever had in terms of talent. So I don't know if we'll live up to that again, but just from a purely prospect analysis perspective, I really do think the 2021 classes is, is better. So you're looking at another influx of talent. So you're going to be looking at like 30, 40, like wide receivers deep um, in terms of like players that you, you know, you really like and are comfortable with. There's like way more options there than running backs. And look, I get it. They don't, running backs don't last as long. But I'm a volume trader. I like. There's no player that like 
sits on my team for more than like two to three years. So I really don't care how long they last. If they last 10 years, five years, it doesn't matter to me because I'm, I probably would have flipped that team over by then. So, you know, if you take that type of approach, like that's why it's like, I don't really care if I have to hold the guy, if I can only hold him for three years, four years, I, like it doesn't really matter to me. I'm just trying to trade out and trade in on peaks and valleys that I think that I think makes sense. So let's get into some individual players. You know, I always see you on the market watch Mondays. You're giving us the strategy. You're giving us the breakdown. You're giving us the process behind a lot of trade moves, player values, when to buy, when to sell, when to hold. But I want to get you in on some specific player analysis. Talk about some of the guys, the up and coming exciting running backs from the 2021 class. I know you've been a big JK Dobbins guy from day one. Um, I remember you were all in on him. In, in rookie drafts uh, before he even entered the league. And then even in redraft, you were like, if there's a guy that you're going to smash on who, who could jump his incumbent starter, it's definitely going to be Dobbins over Ingram. But as far as, you know, dynasty startups right now, I'm seeing Dobbins go like early second round. Is that about where you have him as well? Yeah. I'm like, if you look at the way I rank, I'm like usually ahead of where the market is. So I'm going to give, a big bump to young productive rookie running backs. So I have Jacob Dobbins at looks like 13th overall in a super flex league. Um, or sorry. Yeah. 13th overall in a super flex league. Is it super flex? Actually no, in a single QB league. So that would put him in like the second round, basically early second round is where I would have him, And I'd be comfortable taking a lot of the running backs are like, you'll see Deandre Swift, Cam Akers, JK Dobbins, like back to back to back to back in my rankings uh, towards that end there. I mean, since the bye week, in week seven for the Ravens, where they really started to move on from Martin Ingram, who was a healthy scratch for a couple of those weeks, didn't even see above 20% snap share. Dobbins was averaging 12 carries and one target a game. That, that's the scary thing for me, for Dobbins. I love Dobbins. I would take him. I just did in our, on our dynasty mock, did take him early second round, uh, right? And kind of like that Ezekiel Elliott range. Guys were going for some of the more proven production. I was going for the ascent of J.K. Dobbins, but does that scare you at all, that lack of carry volume? I mean, even when Mark Ingram in 2019 was, you know, the full you know, stud there with Gus Edwards, just him and Edwards, he was only seeing 13 and a half attempts per game. How does that scare you, at least in terms of the floor for J.K. Dobbins? It just means that he doesn't have like that top five upside and, you know, understandably so. I don't have him ranked there, right? It, it, he's not going to you know, I'm not expecting him to be like a workhorse volume, but what he is is he's like super efficient and he's on a high scoring offense and he's got a decent amount of goal line work. Uh, so <clears throat> that's exciting. And then, you know, should they ever move on from Gus or, or, or something like that? I think he presents like that 2K rushing upside. He's like one, he's someone in the offense where landing the right opportunity will, will give him that upside. But he's the, the thing that concerns me with Dobbins, like he's not going to get like targets, right? Like Lamar Jackson just doesn't throw to running backs. So, you know, in that sense, he's kind of like a mini, mini Derrick Henry almost, even though he's capable, very capable of taking uh, catches, uh, taking passes. He's just not going to get that type of volume. So that's, that's what concerns me more is like week to week, uh, you know, volatility is probably going to be more TD dependent, but like, they're also like a really good team and they just run a crap load. So, you know, be, I always say this, like being part of a committee, not all committees are created equal. Like being part of a San Francisco committee, part of a Baltimore committee is very different than being part of like a, uh, I guess like, I don't know who else doesn't run that much, like the Chiefs committee, for example, right? Uh, so it's always like those types of considerations. But at the end of the day in Dynasty, you're trying to buy in on talent, right? Talent is going to dictate everything in the long run and situations change, right? We don't know if Gus Edwards will be here in 2022, right? We don't know if you know what they're going to do for 2022 and beyond like maybe they bring in a different offensive coordinator different someone other than greg roman maybe someone that does give them that workhorse so you really want to just get into that talent and you know the talent to me is there the fit is perfect with lamar jackson so you know the question is when does that volume come is it 2021 is it 2022 uh he's still young so like is some at some point in the first four to five prime years of his life I do think he's going to see like that 15 to 17 touch per week volume. And if you do give JK Dobbins six, 15 to 17 touches a week, you're going to get a middling to top like running back production. I think he more than makes up for that lack of passing work with that touchdown upside. I mean, scored seven touchdowns in his last six games. Like you can't find a game that didn't have a touchdown. You got to look back. I mean, almost half the season um, and definitely was the clear goal on back. We saw that in playoff game against Buffalo. So 
I'm with you there. Um, folks will see that as like a way that uh, his floor drops insanely low. But I think his floor is what we see like in, a, in the game against Dallas where, you know, was it the super high ceiling weak defense where Dobbins ended up coming out there, 11 carries for 71 yards and a touchdown, only 13 fantasy points. But like, if that's the floor for JK Dobbins in this offense, the offense that's going to run the ball every single year, more than any other offense, I'll take that every day of the week. And who knows, man, maybe, maybe free agent Gus Edwards is out of there. There's a non-zero chance. I think that could happen. I doubt it will. Uh, but Gus Edwards seen another nine attempts per game. Could you imagine if Dobbins got another nine attempts per game on top of the, you know, 13 or whatever that he's going to get? with Mark Ingram out of there, assuming they don't sign him back, even if they – like, they're not going to sign him back. They're not going to sign him back at this point. Yeah. Uh, another rookie running back I want to talk about, you mentioned him. This has been a my guy since day one because he torched my Louisville Cardinals for years in the ACC. Cam Akers, absolute stud. Uh, a lot of guys, again, redraft were so disappointed by Akers. He, he burned their rosters. But dynasty-wise, man, this kid is, is an absolute machine – we even just saw it there in the playoffs, putting the Rams on his back, 28 carries, 131 yards, a touchdown, two receptions, and had the longest reception for the Rams in that game with a 44-yard catch. He's the second youngest skill position player in the NFL. And when you think about it that way, it's just he's – what more could you want out of a dynasty running back? But as far as startups go right now, you know, mid-second is typically where I'm seeing him go. In savvy leagues, I have seen some where he's fallen to the third round, maybe mid-early third round. Are you willing to smash on him in that uh, mid-to-early second round? Oh, I mean, I'll smash on him at the at the if it's a one QB league. I mean, I'm smashing on him in the in the first round, uh, top of the second round. I haven't back to back with J.K. Dobbins, DeAndre Swift. Like I've been a Cam Maker stand for a long, long time. Uh, you know, going back. I, he was the first one of the first Debbie players I ever drafted. Um, you know, I, I just loved, I love serial winners, right? And if you look at Cam Akers, that's exactly what he is. If you look at his high school stats, it's video game, video game. He wasn't even a running back in, in high school. He was a quarterback, dual third quarterback. Uh, and he was going into college, coming as, out as a quarterback. He was the second best running back in the nation ranked behind Najee Harris. So that's, that's the lineage of Cam Akers. And he came out, broke out as a true freshman, just balled out, had a down season in his sophomore year and then bounced right back last year. I'm a big, big fan of Cam Akers. And when, even when I drafted him uh, this year, uh, I, I kind of gave you a warning, like, Hey, you're going to have to be patient with Cam Akers. This guy is incredibly raw. He's only been playing running back since college. Right. So, you know, he's still learning the game, but the raw ability and the raw natural talent has always been there. And I said, this guy has as high of a ceiling as anyone in this class, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if two years down the road he was running back one of this entire class. So what you're seeing in late in the season is that some of that playing out. So from week 13 uh, to about week 17, including the playoffs, I started tracking a uh, percentage of opportunities, and I define opportunities as carries plus targets. So week 13, 78%. Week 14, 94%. Week 15, 88%. Week 17, 88%. Playoffs, Ooh. 96%. So – the workhorse Cam Akers has arrived, right? And for those that are still trying to hang on to Darrell Henderson, like, you know, they, they talk about the injury. I get it. He got injured week 17, but week 13, 14, 15, he was, he was healthy and he was seeing less than three touches a game. So this is Cam Akers' backfield. The Rams told you all they, all they wanted to tell you when they took him in the second round, right? When, when you draft someone in the second round, the, the prior guy you drafted in the third round no longer matters. So I love Cam Akers. I think – you know, in a super flex draft, I'd be taking him in like the top half of the second round. But in a single QB, I'm I'm happily smashing on him in the late first. And the last thing I'll say on him is, do you remember Miles Sanders' rise in 2019? Right, the last five games, Miles Sanders he exploded, right? And everyone fell in love with him. It's like, oh, this is the workhorse Miles Sanders we needed. Cam Akers was more impressive in his last five games than Miles Sanders. Like Miles Sanders, 2019. 28.8 uh, opportunities, 105 yards from scrimmage, five yards per opportunity or five yards per carry or per opportunity, I guess. And then Cam Akers, 25.4 opportunities per game, 122 yards from scrimmage and 4.81 yards per opportunity. So he's on nearly as efficient, but he's just on way more volume. And, you know, Sean McVay has kind of shown you like, this is the workhorse. This is the future. And, you know, if anyone's still buying Drill Henderson out there, man, dump that guy. Like, that is a roster clogger. Get a third-round pick. Get a couple fourths. Get something uh, for him because this is a Cam Akers show, and it's going to be wheels up for him going forward. I think he's in, he's in a really, really, really top-end talent. 
And now that he's getting the volume, there's really not much to not like about him. And we saw that the Rams in 2020, the run blocking O-line improved to a degree. They wanted to run the ball a lot more. They became a run heavy team as opposed to asking Jared Goff to throw the ball 600 times. And we could look at the draft capital comparison with Henderson and and definitely I'll take that uh, at face value. But I mean, Henderson's never seen the type of usage that Cam Akers is already getting. So I'm I'm with you hundred percent. So we've talked about two, you know, kind of locked and loaded dynasty darlings. Let's get into a guy that there's a lot of uncertainty around AJ Dillon, Green Bay Packers running back taken at the 230. So back of the second round in the 2019 draft. Guy's an absolute tank, six foot, 250, right under 23 years old right now. Showed some breakaway speed, but really wasn't used at all as a rookie until, I mean, he didn't have more than five carries and 25% of snaps until he ran wild against the Titans in that snow game, week 16. 60% of snaps, 21 carries, 124 yards, two touchdowns, a 26 fantasy point outing. Welcome, A.J. Dillon. A.J. Dillon, you have arrived. Where are you with A.J. Dillon, though? You know, with the contract situation up in the air with Aaron Jones, like, is this a guy you want to get in now before that value peaks? Because I'm not – he's not a guy that I love as someone who really doesn't catch a lot of passes, really hasn't shown that he, he can do that or that's a big part of his skill set. Yeah, I mean, I was never an A.J. Dillon fan. I think he's probably – he was probably my, one of my lowest-ranked running backs uh, coming into this class. Uh, for some of the reasons you said, like one, he wasn't great at catching passes, but two, he just wasn't very elusive. Like he's like a big, really big and fast and athletic guy, of course. And you know, you know, people try and make the comp to Derrick Henry. I don't, I don't really know if that's the right comp, but I think you know, for him, if you are a believer, you absolutely have to buy right now. Um, but if you're not, like as we saw in the playoffs, right? Like, I mean, as we as we see, like when the when the time comes, like when it's most important. Like, I think we're going to see Aaron Jones there. So if Aaron Jones gets re-signed, then you just have a handcuff. Uh, and I'm not really in the business of, of paying up for handcuffs. But I'm just I, – I I'm not going to say, like, discount the performance because he played really well. I mean, even when I was watching the game, he was breaking tackles. He was doing a lot of stuff. Granted, it was against Tennessee defense and their buns. But at the end of the day, he still put on a show. So I'm not really, like, in a buy mode for A.J. Dillon. I think – you know, if you, if you want to buy him, you're going to have to pay like a mid-second in Superflex drafts, probably like maybe even a late first in your single QB, right? So at those prices, I think I'd rather just take a swing on some of these wide receivers uh, versus versus getting someone risky like him. Like it, it's a bad time to invest in running backs with questionable situations because there's a draft, there's free agency. Like even if Aaron Jones leaves, what happens if they sign someone cheaper? You, you don't know any of these things. So like I don't, I'm not, I don't feel too comfortable. And it's not like A.J. Dillon – fans who drafted him are looking to dump him because they saw that one game like that glimpse of what he could be so you're gonna have to like pay up to get him so i think that you know what i think it'll cost to get him is just not gonna be worth it for me so i'm not really pursuing it but if you can get him for cheap like a late second then yeah far away because you know you got to try and land running backs when you can and i I see the comp thrown around and i'm with you on aj Dillon. um this is definitely the worst time to buy but I, i see this eddie lacy comp get thrown around by some of the mainstream folks, that's partially, you know, Green Bay, partially just the physique. But even Eddie Lacy was commanding 44 targets as a rookie. I don't see that comp being there. Maybe you can see the goal line work being there. And what's to say Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones don't both get re-signed. And then, like you said, we're stuck with a handcuff. I got to imagine at least one of those guys is coming back. I don't see Dylan getting the keys of the kingdom in this backfield. Best case scenario, he's going to be in some sort of timeshare with like Jamal Williams or a guy like that, another scat back. And, you know, he's going to see 250 carries and some goal line work can maybe have a good season or two. Um, Eddie Lacy showed that he can have good seasons. He was an RB one for two years, but you're relying on a lot of things to go right for AJ Dillon to hit. Uh, I'm willing to sell high. If I grabbed him in rookie drafts, uh, this is the time to sell high uh, when his hype is huge. Whereas like you said, right. So they bring a guy into the draft and now you get nothing for him. Like give me a guy like Keyshawn Vaughn, over AJ Dillon, what do you think about the, those two players? Yeah, definitely don't give me Keyshawn Vaughn. I mean, I'm are you not, are you out on Vaughn? I, I don't think I was ever in on Vaughn. Uh, okay, All I right. thought he was like I thought he was like okay, but I thought he was the most overdrafted player because like if you think back to where he was being drafted, people were taking him in the late first, and at the late first, early second, I'm always smashing T Higgins and Lavisca Chenault because like the wide receiver talent is just way better. So, and Keyshawn Vaughn, like I mean, you couldn't get on the field, man. So. 
it doesn't look right. And to be fair, like I was a Ronald Jones hater, right? But he looked like by far and away the best runner on that team uh, nice. all, all year. And, you know, we all know Leonard Fournette stinks. And I thought at some point maybe Keyshawn Vaughn would step in there and get some of that passing work. But the guy just couldn't get on the field. So, you know, it, despite all the people loving his pass protection, which, you know, again, doesn't fucking matter at all. Yikes. Yikes. Um, like, he's just not – I don't know. I'm not excited about Keyshawn Vaughn. Like, don't – don't try not to – Try not to like buy low on like people that on running backs that really face plant in, in your one because like the the track record there is not great and you just don't want to catch that falling knife. So I'm out on I'm out on Keyshawn Vaughn for sure, um, unless unless you can get him for a fourth, I guess that that's like the price where I'd be willing to explore it. But yeah, I'm out on I'm out on those running backs. So I had this in the show sheet. I already know what the answer is going to be. But when you compare, and I'm just curious to hear your thoughts generally on, on this player, but a guy like Kareem Hunt, a guy mm-hmm. who's, who's in a timeshare, a little on the older end. He's 25 right now. You know, if you're all in on A.J. Dillon, right, you think he's going to be um, one of the, the, you know, say 50-50 split with him and somebody else there on a great offense with the Green Bay. Would you rather have Kareem Hunt right now or A.J. Dillon right now? I think it really depends on the team. So if I, if I'm like a contender, I think I still rather have cream hunt and PPR. Cause as we saw, like cream hunt is pretty damn good with Chubb. Right. And I remember there was this debate in the off season about how Hunt would be better without Chubb than Chubb without hunt. That was obviously nonsense, but together cream hunt does provide some decent value and he provides you some PPR value. And honestly, I think he's a better running back than AJ Dillon as well. So but if you're like a rebuilder and you want to get you want to get someone younger and you are a AJ Dillon truther, right? Let's say you are AJ Dillon truther, I think you could definitely make that swing. And if anything, you could maybe flip a Kareem Hunt for like an AJ Dillon plus a third round pick. And I know people don't care about third round picks much. I actually do. You know, when it gets to that tier of the draft, it's about volume. So fire as many darts as you can to try and land that jackpot. Uh, so those are the types of trades that I would probably explore. But I think in a in a vacuum, I still prefer cream hunt because browns run a crap load and even in as part of a committee he can kind of provide you some decent uh, rb2 flex value and he's he's getting like he's getting like the leonard fournette role in tampa right where he's getting pass catching work and a bunch of goal line work too so yeah. gotta love it there for for k hunt let's talk about another 2020 rookie running back star of the show in 2020 j rob james robinson your boy i think you put out like seven consecutive episodes <laughs> <laughs> on bunk bed breakdowns of you and Noah just just gushing over James Robinson and I was absolutely on that hype train with you picked this guy up in a bunch of leagues redraft dynasty but there's been this ongoing debate I don't think it's ever gonna stop until this guy can do it multiple years in a row what do you do with J-Rob you flip him for a first you know there's this question of always oh, undrafted so now he's gonna lose his role as the starting three down workhorse I think at this point we're all expecting some regression to happen, whether that's mm-hmm. another scat bag that comes in. You know, they have a lot of draft capital. There's a lot of uncertainty with the coaching staff, uh, how things are going to change in that offense with all the new personnel coming in. Who knows? Maybe Trevor Lawrence is, is running a ton on the ground, and that's taken away from some of James Robinson's pass-catching volume. Like, all of that's still built into his ADP and his value, in my opinion. Team bringing it – oh, breaking news. Like, before we got on, like an hour ago, Urban Meyer – Yep. Coach of the the Jags, we can talk about that too. But on J Rob, real quick, where is he for you in terms of like a, a rankings or a tier? He's uh like in that group of running backs. He's like a very high end RB two for me. You know, he's 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 with like the the Aaron Jones, the Josh Jacobs, uh, the Zeke, like Henry, like that type of group is where I have him. And you know, I I get the whole undrafted free agent stuff and, and all that stuff. I just, I just don't think that's the right way to look at it, right? Because people are going to quote undrafted free agent hit rates, right? But here's the problem. Most undrafted free agents don't see the field much. And then once they do see the field, they don't retain a workhorse volume. And when they do retain a workhorse volume, they do not produce the way they, that he has produced. So like there's just so many gates that he's cleared that I think if you're still using like undrafted free agents as a denominator in calculating like his odds of success, I think it's flawed. Now, does that mean he has no risk? Absolutely not. I've said many times, like, I love James Robinson, but I'm fully aware of what the risks are. So here's how I make my decisions. If you're in a rebuilding team, when you are a rebuilding team, you should not be looking to take on risk. You should be only looking to secure good value 
forget about your starting lineups. Forget about points. Don't look for like swinging for the fences. Just accumulate good value and just keep building up a portfolio of value. So the best way to do that is to have secure assets. So in that scenario, if you could have flipped James Robinson for like a rookie first plus, which you could have done at any point in the season, that's a good move, right? And I'm totally fine with doing that, like getting a top four, top five pick because that top four, top five pick, that value is secure until at least after the draft, right? Whereas James Robinson is susceptible to risk of them taking like an early running back. I don't think they will, but that risk is there. But if you're a contending team, right, you want to take a swing on someone like James Robinson because if you fail, whatever, you missed out on like a first round pick, you could probably still sell him for a second even if they draft someone, right? Because he's still been productive. So you miss on that edge. But if you hit and you hit on an Arian Foster, Priest Mahomes-esque workhorse running back, then that is a league winning dynasty setup move. So that's how I approach James Robinson. It's about the risk profile that your team can take on, what stage of your rebuild competitiveness you're at. And those are the things that people don't think about. They're just like, wow, James Robinson, he's going to get his job replaced and lose all his value. Like he might, but like, frankly, I don't care if that happens because what I'm looking for is like, if he hits, then I'm going to make everyone in my league, my bitch for like the next two to three years as he's like a workhorse. Right. So that's how you should think about it is look at the profile of your team, look at the profile of your league and then see if James Robinson is someone that fits that profile in terms of urban Meyer getting hired. I don't understand too much about Urban Meyer, to be, to be honest. I know he's a super successful, one of the most successful college coaches ever. Not sure how that translates to the NFL. I think it will be more interesting to see who he hires on as, as his OC. But what we have seen is Urban Meyer is catering to the talent that he has in, in the teams that he's had. So I'm excited about Trevor Lawrence. There, I don't think there's any negative you can say about Trevor Lawrence going there because I, I like the, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats type of narrative where Trevor Lawrence is going to make that offense better. They're going to score more. So it's going to be more opportunity for James Robinson. And Trevor Lawrence being mobile is a good thing for running backs. And targets are, I mean, he tossed the ball to freaking Travis Etienne, who is by no means an elite pass catcher a million times in college. So I think that fit will be nice. And Urban obviously runs a ton of RPO uh, at Ohio State. So that's going to open up lanes for James Robinson. So if, if there's a scenario here, where Jags leaves the draft with no running backs, like the top one to two rounds, you're not going to be able to buy James Robinson for a first round pick anymore. So that's why as a contender, you kind of have to make that swing because you don't want to pay two first down the line. And if you miss, you miss between the difference in the first and the second, it's not that big of a deal. So that's my approach to James Robinson. And that's how I think people should approach it, but not many people do. I love it, man. I love it. I really don't understand the Urban Meyer move. Like, I don't get it. I don't, I don't know what Urban sees outside. Okay, yeah, they have a lot of cap. Maybe I can be, you know, a guy with a lot of pull there that can make a lot of decisions. I can choose my GM. Like, I, I get it from that perspective of, like, I'm going to have a lot of power, but I don't know why I'd want to come back specifically to the Jacksonville Jaguars unless, you know, I don't know what that contract looks like. Maybe it's insane. I mean, it's a good contract. I think it's a, one of the better landing spots, uh, you know, at least for a GM, it's one of the top landing spots. I don't know about coach. But, like, you know, you're getting what everyone is saying is the best quarterback prospect of all time, right? or since John Elway, since Peyton Manning, whatever. Take your pick, a Hall of Famer. Uh, so you got that going for you. And they got a shitload of cap space, right? And they're loaded with draft picks. And if you think about it, like, you know, he's not coached for a couple of years, but he's pretty plugged into the college scene. So I'm sure he has his views on who this incoming talent class is for, like, 2021, 2022. Uh, so with those draft picks, with that ammo, like, I think – for him, it's like, hey, I get to build this team and like help build this roster and like, you know, run it how I see fit. So I think I can see why he went there. Uh, also, no taxes. That's always a bonus. <laughs> it it kind of reminds me of the uh, John Gruden situation in a way. Guys and coach for a while, comes back, gonna have a ton of hype. We'll see if he delivers on that, but it's yeah. certainly gonna be exciting. And everything you just said there got me so excited for that roster where I have LaVisca Chenault and DJ Chark uh, yeah. coming off a rebuild. So, yeah. Loving that. This is going to be exciting, man. I mean, if you think about the Urban Meyer, I mean, he, he had Percy Harvin, right? And he had, he had Curtis Samuel in, in that hybrid type of role. And LaVisca Chanel, it's like a jacked up version uh, of them. So I'm, I'm super, super excited to see what he does with LaVisca Chanel. Like you could be looking at like a, you know, 800 yards receiving, like 800 yards, like rushing, like 700 yards rushing, like with like, you know, double digit TDs type of type of move for LaVisca. So if you haven't yet, I mean, I've pumped up LaVisca for a long time. And if you haven't Thank yet, you, you should be acquiring him. It's going to be exciting. So I'm, we're all in the LaVisca hype train. 
But let's talk about two rookie wide receivers that disappointed. I think both for very different reasons, but both have the first round draft capital. And in Dynasty, there's always this concept of third year is the breakout for wide receivers. They take more time to develop before this season, which was like we already talked about, right? Historic class, some of the best rookies that we've ever seen play in the NFL. We got Jay Jets breaking the records that Randy Moss was setting. But before this season, there were only nine out of 182 rookie wide receivers that ever finished in the top 24 in PPR leagues. Mm -hmm. You take that into consideration. Maybe these guys didn't stink as much as everybody says, but what are you doing right now? We'll start with Ruggs. The other one is is Jalen Ragor. Henry Ruggs, Jalen Ragor. If you're a holder of them in Dynasty, what are you doing? Is it just hold because you're not getting anything left? Um, Where are you going with those guys? I mean, you you should not have drafted Henry Ruggs, period. So, you know, I said that all back, but – but if you did draft Henry Ruggs, I think you should be trying to get out, right? And, you know, a lot of people, uh, dynasty and, you know, human beings are just prisoners of some cost fallacy. They cannot get over how much they invested in a player. And, like, that is the number one downfall of people in dynasty is, like, one is take lock and two is that. Like, to me, you know, you shouldn't be worried about what you invest in Henry Ruggs. You invested a first-round pick. That was a fucking mistake. Move on, right? That that mistake is not going to be fixed. What you should be looking at is, like, if I don't move on from him now, what will I get oh, a year from now, two years from now? A year from now, two years now, you might drop him from your roster. So if you can get a late second, I think that's an easy accept because I would rather re-roll on this wide receiver class. If you can get even a couple thirds, right, in Superflex, I think that's fine because it's going to add you a couple darts. It's going to allow you to move up and down in the draft. It's going to give you more flexibility. You never know who falls, and interesting players always fall, right? You got Chase Claypools, Antonio Gibsons. These are outliers, of course, but, you know, people love their guys, and people love spending time on sleepers. Like, there's, I don't know anybody that, like, people waste so much time on identifying sleepers. So when those sleepers get into the draft, you know they're going to want to get them. So having those third-round picks is going to be valuable. So that's what I'd be doing with 10 rugs. I'd be moving on because, you know, I get the whole three-year thing, but the three-year thing is based on a progression, right? And you don't want guys falling on their face in year one. That's, that's not good for future. And Henry Ruggs and Jalen Rager as well, to, to a degree, like absolutely fell on their face. But the fact that, like, I didn't think Henry Ruggs would be good, like he was not productive in college, and shocker, he was not productive in, in the NFL, I think like those like two red flags, he's progressing exactly as someone with his profile is progressing and where that goes two years down the line is literally not on your roster. So you should be trying to get whatever you can. The John Ross progression, the Doriel Green Beckham progression. Yeah. All these guys, right? And yeah. I mean, we didn't see Ruggs get more than five targets in a game all season. He averaged two receptions a game. At least, at least like the one positive with him was is that the A dot was there. Mm-hmm. It was the second highest in the league, but those weren't accurate targets. And he wasn't able to go up and like high point on defenders. He had to burn them purely with just speed to get separation, which I actually think he did. Um, I want to spend a little bit more time breaking down that film on Ruggs, but yeah, I'm with you, man. He, the wheels fell off for Henry Ruggs. If you were in on him, it was just a hype play from like Alabama in the 40 time. There's a lot more that goes into it than just those two factors. Uh, and that's yeah. why I, I've been a big fan of Jalen Ragor. He was a my guy just like Cam Akers. Really disappointed to see how this year went. There was turmoil in the offense. Rager never once had a, a game with over 60 yards, only caught 50% of his targets. At least, though, he has, like, the college profile. At least he has that skill set that he showed in college to kind of fall back on. He demanded a huge target share in college, broke out super early in his career. That gives you more hope. With Rager, are you buying like I am? I'm not buying. I'm just, like, kind of, like, holding a bit and if if i get uh, a chance and like someone's willing to give me a late first for him i'll absolutely dump him and re-roll uh just like i said i, I don't like it when when guys fall on their face you're one uh, you know if, if they had something that'd be good i think you know with rager um the problem is like he got hurt too like that's the thing it's like but it's like the exact same thing that happened to kill harry you know like they got hurt early uh and then they just like weren't able to kind of recover and when I was watching him, like he had some like decent plays and there was some other plays where he got missed on, but that kind of happens to everyone. So I don't really like to go that route. It's like, Oh wow. Like look at Jalen Hurts missed him on these couple bombs. Like you, you watch that film for anyone. It's going to happen. So I think, you know, if you can, if you can re-roll for someone in this class, like if I can get a Deami Brown, I'm instantly accepting like in Deami Brown, you can get in the early second of Superflex draft. So instantly is smashing on that. 
if I get a Seth Williams and smashing on that, like a lot of these wide receivers in this incoming class, I really like as well. So like I said, if you can re-roll, absolutely do it. I'm not really going out and I'm like a buy crusade. Cause I already have a lot of him. Cause I was in on him as well. Uh, so I'm just going to like hold some and then try and re-roll a couple if I can. I think it's a good way uh, to approach as well. I, I think folks are lumping in Regor into that rugs category, which for me, those guys are not very similar at all. No. Uh, so I'm willing no. to bet on Rager. I, I found situations where I've been by being able to get them extremely low. So I've been able to flip a rugs for Regor. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, you can get that price accepted all day. Um, I'm just like not really willing to pay like an early second or first to get him. Uh, and some people, you know, if they're, if they are real truthers, like, you know, they're probably going to hang on as well. So, but if you can get it for rugs, like, like if you can get him for rugs, I would do it. Right. If you can get him, I mean, Van Jefferson, worst draft pick of all time. I don't Yikes. know him, but uh, you know, some of these other lower wide receivers definitely do it. If you can get him for like a late second, maybe like a couple thirds, I would do it. But you know, short of that, I'm just going to reroll the sec- early second round picks. Would you move Chase Claypool for Regor Plus? Depends what the plus is. Um, but, like, dude, Claypool was one of my biggest misses. Like, I, I just did not see this coming, and he was pretty damn impressive. So I love seeing early production at young wide receivers. So it would have to be a, a, a pretty penny uh, for me to move off him for Regor Plus. You know, maybe, like, Regor Plus, like, an early second-round pick in Superflex, something like that. That would make me consider it, but... Um, other than that, I think there's a pretty big gap between what Claypool did and what Rager has done. So you hinted at some of the stud wide receivers in this 2021 class. We've talked about how it could, by all intents and purposes, be a better class. It looks like a better class on paper than the 2020 class. And look, let, let's settle this once and for all. Let's get Mike Lou's stance on this. Who is your wide receiver one in the 2021 class? Is it Jamar Chase or is it Devonta Smith? And if it is Jamar Chase, how far apart are, are Chase and Smith for you? It's Jamar Chase. Um, I don't, I, I really feel like this shouldn't be that hot of a discussion. And I get it. Like Devonta Smith had a baller year. He had a fantastic year. Kudos to him. When won the Heisman. Fantastic. Right. Doesn't matter. Like, that it doesn't matter that you won the Heisman, like other than accomplishment and the kudos to him as a player from a fantasy perspective, I couldn't care less if he won the Heisman because there's like nothing to show me that Heisman winners actually correlate with fantasy production, which is what we care about. Right. And there's plenty to show us that producing at an early age does correlate to fantasy success. And what Jamar Chase did as a true sophomore is way more impressive to me than what Devonta Smith has done. And I'm not saying Devonta Smith is a bad player, right? Even if you even if you absolutely believe that Devonta Smith is a freaking stud, and that's your that's your true belief, why would you take him over Jamar Chase, who had an equally impressive season younger and is bigger and like is is going to be an early declare and is going to be younger when he enters the NFL? And honestly, by all accounts, is also an, an absolute fucking stud, right? So even if you believe that these two are incredibly, incredibly talented, I'm just going to always take the risk mitigating one and just pick Jamar Chase. And I think I have Jamar Chase in his own tier. He's in a tier one wide receiver by himself. That's it. I don't have anyone else in there. Um, And the gap between him and Devonta Smith for me is actually pretty big. Like I have, you know, I have Rashad Bateman as my wide receiver too. I got Rondell Moore. I got Seth Williams in there. I got Deami Brown in there. Um, so there's a there's a bunch of wide receivers that I'm very interested in, and even though I, I have Devonta Smith ranked lower, right? But I don't really think it matters because like someone in your league is gonna have him ranked as their wide receiver one or wide receiver two. So basically, the way I have my rankings done is like I'm just not gonna have any Devonta Smith. And if he hits, like dude, fantastic, good for him. Uh, I you know he he by all means by my eyes looks like an, a phenomenal wide receiver, right? But I'm just not gonna take that risk when I'm in a class with so many other guys that are also by my account, pretty damn good. So that's kind of where I'm at with that debate. And I don't really want to argue or shit on anyone. Like if you have Devonta Smith as your wide receiver one, like kudos to you, man. Maybe, you know, you have a process that kind of works there. But for me, as part of my process, there's just, there's red flags there when there is no red flags with Jamar Chase. I'm just going to go with the guy that doesn't have any. I'm with you hundred percent, man. It's, it's Chase. It's a massive gap. And then it's a bunch of other really good players. Um, I'm sold on Rashad Bateman. You brought his name up a while back when we did that pod last year after the 2019 draft. 
dig, did a little digging into this guy. I was like, damn, he, he's going to produce at the next level. So I'm, I'm with you on Bateman as well. He's in my, I don't know if he's my two right now. I haven't actually, you know, sat down and gone through all the rankings, but uh, Smith certainly isn't the two for me. And I love that because you know that the hype is going to get so real with him that you're going to be able to get even more value later on in those rookie drafts. Yep. I mean, Jamar Chase did exactly what Smith did just a year ago, right? Yep. So I'm with you 100% there. Last topic I want to touch on here, do you know the running backs in the 2021 class? And I think we can revisit all these guys after we know some landing spots. After the draft, we'll love to have you back on the show, Mike. Always love having you on. But as far as your – we can really make this top five running backs in this class. The question I wrote down, right, who's the RB3? Because I think for most people – and maybe you, know, you got a hot take, something coming from out of left field here. Most folks have Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, one and two. I've seen a few guys more on the film side of things lean with Etienne over Najee Harris. I'm a Harris guy through and through. think the kid's an absolute monster. I have the 103 uh, in my home dynasty league. I'm, I'm holding that saying, look, this is either going to be Fields or Harris. And I'm going to be stoked with either one. But who is your three? Is it Javante Williams? Is it Kenneth Gainwell? Is it maybe a Trey Sermon, a Chuba Hubbard? Hubbard's kind of falling off. But who do you got there as your three? Yeah, I got uh, Javante Williams. And, and he might be my two, to be quite honest. Because Ooh. like, here's the thing. It depends when you're drafting, right? Like, you know, most people draft after the NFL draft. Uh, because they're not degenerates, but I myself have leagues where I draft players uh, before the NFL draft does. Uh, it's a little bit of a gamble, but it's also a lot of fun. So in that scenario, I think Javante Williams is more, um, how do I put it? He's more, a little bit more landing spot proof. He kind of profiles as that three down back. He's a, you know, he's a freaking tackle breaking monster. I want to see how he tests, obviously. If he goes out there and pulls an Elijah Holyfield and runs like a four seven, I'm not interested anymore. But Yikes. if he assuming he goes out there and runs like a four four five, right? Um, I, I think I am interested because if if I know what Travis Etienne lands, that'll be a very easy decision for me to make. Because Travis Etienne, I I think he's a great fit for like a San Francisco where you have like Kyle Shanahan uh, scheming him a couple of open lanes because you point him into open lane like he's gone. That that is the type of player that Travis Etienne is, uh, but if you put him on like the New York Jets, I'm not as interested, right? Because, you know, one, they're not going to be a great team. And two, like, I don't know how much space he's really going to have to work with. Whereas like a Javante Williams, I feel like you can kind of plug him into a lot of offenses and, you know, kind of like a Chris Carson, right? He's, he's a pretty damn physical runner. He's going to be a good runner. So I'm interested in him there. So I actually have him as my RB2 right now. Uh, not knowing any landing spots just because I feel like he can land in a couple, uh, a lot of good places and still be really good. Whereas Travis Etienne, I think is one of the most landing spot dependent players in this entire draft. Like I have him at 1.05 right now in a super flex league uh, after the top two quarterbacks and the top two wide receivers. But like, actually, no, I actually moved Jamar Chase ahead of him. So I'm at 1.06, but I could see him easily sliding way down to like the back half of the first, if he lands in a shitty situation and we get like a Trey Lance and Zach Wilson that has like good draft capital. So I think he's super, super volatile, uh, but I do love the player. If he lands in the right spot, he could also be the running back one. So it's kind of that, that's the type of player that Travis Etienne is. What do you think about Steelers as a landing spot for either of these guys? I've been seeing Najee to the Steelers. I think for most fantasy players, that's a dream landing spot scenario because you know he's going to get keys to the kingdom and can have the levy on bell roll. But for either of these guys, whoever lands in Pittsburgh, like if ETN lands there, are you willing to put him at the same level, if not higher than, than Najee? Not really. Cause I think, I don't think the Steelers is as lucrative as people think it is. I mean, their offensive line is battered. I mean, this year, maybe we saw Connor put up a couple good games, but you know, I don't think it's as good of a landing spot as people make it out to be, basically. I mean, we don't know what Big Ben's going to do. We don't know how good that team's going to be. They're mostly like a pass-first offense. So I'm not so sure that's the best spot. Uh, I think Najee can land anywhere. I don't care where he lands. He's going to be he's gonna be dope. I really want to see him land in, like, a Miami, you know? Maybe they can pick him. But I don't know if it'll last that long. So um, anywhere he goes with, like, a workhorse role, I'm excited. Atlanta? Yeah, Atlanta, like anywhere where you can take over, I think Najee Harris will be fantastic because he's a three-down, true three-down threat. Uh, but Travis Etienne, like I, I I wouldn't be that excited about him landing in the Steelers, to be honest, because like I don't even think he's like really a workhorse. I would want to see him land like in a 
Ideally, I think he's going to be in a committee no matter what, but you want to see him land on a high-powering offense committee, right? Like, let's say, like, Aaron Jones leaves, right, and then he lands in Green Bay. That'd be exciting for me. Green Bay has a top offensive line. Uh, he is a he would be a great compliment to to someone like an AJ Dillon. Uh, you know that'll cap the ceiling a bit Ooh. probably on the TD side. But but like if Travis Etienne landed there, one AJ Dillon would be dead. But you know from a first he's already dead. Down grinder, but Travis Etienne landing in that type of offense with that type of role is exciting. But that's why I said like he's a very very volatile asset because if he doesn't land in something like that, I'm very very nervous about what he's going to do. And now you got me thinking about this uh, Thunder and Lightning with A.J. Dillon and Travis Etienne they're going to build in Green Bay next year. Uh, I'm pretty hyped. Uh, so you, you got your top three, Harris, Etienne, Williams. Mm-hmm. Who are the other two there? We don't have to get too deep into these names here, but just curious who you have kind of rounding out that top five. Yeah, so the, the funny thing is, like, those are the only three I have in the first round. Those are the only three I have in, like, my top 20 players. Like, after those three go, I'm like basically not even really looking at running backs until much, much later. But the hype you know, what- on Gainwell right now is insane on Twitter. Guys are gassing this kid up every single day. I see a new thread. We're breaking down his film, how explosive he is. But I'm with you, man. He's just undersized. Like, I don't see it. I don't see him as a guy in that top three. Yeah, I don't, I don't see it either. I do think he's a really good player. But again, you have a player that is – so so landing spot dependent because he is for sure not a workhorse back at least out the gate he's have to play himself into that role so you're looking at like a committee maybe third down role he's a fantastic player obviously because he relegated Antonio Gibson to the bench right and and this guy is an absolute stud I just don't know where he's gonna land so that's like the type of risk that I don't really want to take so he's interesting another name that's kind of catching my attention is Ramadre Stevenson uh from Oklahoma he's a huge 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 dude he's like 250 so I'm, I'm kind of interested to see how he how he tests out but he's looked he looked pretty good uh in the in the limited action they did get and he does have some receiving chops as well uh so he kind of has that profile size now is he gonna get the draft capital i'm not sure uh but that's someone i'm interested in and then one last name i'll kind of throw out there is uh, jamar jefferson i think he's another interesting name uh, that I have in that next group of guys. But again, he's not someone that I have in my top five and definitely not someone I'm looking to spend a first round rookie pick on. So two points, it, everything you just said, there just, it, it brought two things to my mind. One, Buffalo, another really interesting landing spot. I don't know if oh, they yeah. want to get burned again after the single Terry Moss experience. Like, are they just going to keep churning through these running backs? What yeah, are your thoughts I mean, on them as a landing spot? I mean, like I, I joked, I tweeted on uh, when the game was happening, but I said, like, dude, Buffalo should just never run the ball again <laughs> unless they're running with Josh Allen because, you know, the, the, their running backs are, are just not very good. Josh Allen uh, is their RB1 right now. Yeah, he's by far their RB1. And funnily enough, after I tweeted that, their next drive was like four passes and two Josh Allen runs. So, <laughs> you know, it's they're, they're, the only weakness in their offense is the running game. If they do get someone good, though, I think that can be a very lucrative spot because – you know, Josh Allen obviously does vulture a lot of stuff, but it is a very high-scoring, high-powered offense. It's just that, like, Devin Singletary has never been it, and, and Zach Moss definitely ain't it. So I think, you know, if you get, like, a – but here's what I think, though. I think what's more likely, though, is they just friggin' like, pony up and, like, sign, like, a vet, uh, like a Chris Carson or something, and just get him over there and just grind it out, uh, kind of like what they did with LaShawn McCoy. I think, I think that's the more likely path versus them actually spending draft capital on a running back. If I had to guess, that would be my guess. You know, I, I got to feel like they just feel so burned about drafting running backs right now. Whatever <laughs> they're doing to evaluate guys, like it's not working. You all need to change it up. Um, yeah. So I could definitely see them signing a, a veteran. Last thing here, um, I'm one, I haven't heard too much talk about this, but it has been floated out there by a couple of different sources. There is a non-zero chance that we don't get a combine. We don't get pro days. Mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. year thanks to freaking covid so mm-hmm. how do you think that impacts a lot of things or impacts like uh, obviously like we both want a lot of draft picks especially in rebuild like there's still tons of value there i think we know which guys are the guys mm-hmm. but how do you think that plays out if there is no combine we don't get to see these guys test you devalue like late second round and third round picks i do not uh because like combine i mean i call it the under olympics because that's really what it is it's 
I think people tend to like overweight it a lot. I mean, I use it, I use it more as like a, like a cross off, like a red flag, like a running back goes out there and runs like a four, seven, four, eight. I'm very not interested because the the history there is not great, but if they run anywhere between like a, almost like a four, three or like a four, six, like it doesn't really change my evaluation of them that much. Uh, so I think what's going to happen though, is like, it takes away a sell window for your rookie picks because the best sell windows is immediately after the combine immediately after the draft when hype is the highest. So from that perspective, it's quite disappointing, but if you know what you're looking for, I mean, those second round picks to me become more valuable because now you have guys who actually look at the advanced stats and know what matters for a wide receiver. It's not that they run a four, four or a four, three or a four, two. It's, it's how productive they were in college. Right. So those are the things I'm looking at, you know, combine for wide receivers, especially like really don't matter to me at all, unless they're literally going out there and running like four nines and, and five zeros where you're just like, damn, this guy is not going to make it. Uh, <laughs> Like that's where I kind of use combine. Like I never, I never go come out of combine. I'm like, wow, this guy blew me away in the combine. Let me move him up my ranks. What I do is I say, wow, this guy that I like stunk. Let me move him down. That's, that's my reaction for combine. It's never, I, I, nobody comes out of combine. I'm like, holy shit. Like AJ Dillon, you were amazing. The combine. I'm going to definitely move you up. That's not really my approach for the most part. So going off what you just said there, Jamar Chase should not, be present at the combine. Keep that stock as high as possible because yeah. it can only go down, right? Yeah, I mean, Jamar Chase could not do the. Com- I mean, look at what people did to T. Higgins for not doing the combine and how foolish that was. Like people, were like, oh my god, he didn't run a forty. Or, oh my god, he didn't he didn't lift weights. Oh my god, he didn't jump out of the gym. Like oh my god, in his pro day, he only ran like a four six. Like in the end, it doesn't fucking matter because the guy produced and he's a good player, right? So if all that all that thing can do is like you know devalue stuff, so. I'm, I would love to see the combine. Don't get me wrong. When the combine happens, I watch it because it's fun. I love to see who's the fastest 40 guy. I love to see who's jumping out of the gym, right? I love to see all those things. But like in terms of prospect evaluation, a combine is a very, very small portion of my weighting. If, if at all, like I said, it's more of like a filter to just filter out really bad athletes like the, the Zach Mosses of the world, for example. I, I want it to happen so all the, the 40 time truthers just overvalue these guys. We get more Henry yeah. Ruggs up there. Yeah. Like, I feel like last year, LaVisca Chanel, because he was a little bit banged up at the combine, hurt his yeah. stock to a lot of people. I don't think it necessarily hurt his draft stock, but for... Yeah. Oh, it definitely hurt his draft stock. If he, if he came out at that size and he ran like a 4-4, four, 4-5, four, four, which, which I thought he would run, but he put on that freaking parachute and, and ran that sprint instead, I think he would have gone higher, to be honest. Because like NFL, where he, the he reason ended up going? Yeah, he won in the second round. Uh, Two ten. Two ten. When he when he landed in Jacksonville, I was hyped. As soon as I saw the landing, I'm like, I'm all in on the journal. This is this is this is the perfect landing spot and for his skill set. Uh, but like the reason why the combine matters is because the NFL cares about it, and the NFL is not rational. So if if you make that understanding, <laughs> that's the reason why it matters. Like a running back because they run a four seven doesn't necessarily mean they suck. It just means the NFL is like, wow, that guy sucks. I'm not giving the opportunity. So that's why the combine matters to that degree, right? That's why I use it as an eliminator and not like a propeller. Awesome, man. Well, th- this discussion was incredible. Learned a ton here. Love getting your thoughts as an avid fan of what you guys are doing. Again, guys, if you like what you heard here, go over to Bunk Bed Breakdowns. Give those guys a sub. They're all in on the Dynasty game. Just dropping like these guys are consistent. I'm seeing what four videos a week, something like that. One's an hour. We get the narrative. We get Market Watch Mondays where we go through the strategy. How to know if you're rebuilding, you're a contender, all that stuff, man. Mike, appreciate everything you're doing. Uh, anything else before we sign off here? Anything? Anything? I know you know you didn't have anything to plug, but just any parting words. No, nah, man. Just just have fun with it, dude. Like I know this is your first offseason in Dynasty, and. You know, for those of you out there that are thinking about dipping your toes in, you know, make sure you guys just tune into their show. And, you know, it's always interesting. Like I've been playing, I'm in like my third year now. So my perspective will be different from your perspective, but like the learning experience in the first year is really cool. But the best part of dynasty, man, if you stick with it, if you stick with it is year two and year three, because that's when your dynasties come together. That's when I post my team and the people, all the like jokes are coming like, Oh, is that an 18 league? Yada, yada, yada. No, that's like through two, three years of net positive trades. That's how you build dynasties and build monsters. You don't have that chance in redraft because you know, you, you only get so many first round picks and not every eighth round picks become the first round pick the following year. Right. But in dynasty, like I have teams with like seven first round picks. Like if you look at the startup Mike, real draft, quick, 
can, can you read us off like one of these stud, sure. just purebred every year winning rosters that you have going on right now? Yeah. So I did a, I did a uh, productive struggle last year in a draft and I just accumulated a bunch of draft picks to go all in on, uh, on the 2020 draft. And this year was like the first year I'm contending in year two. And I, I won the league and uh, came in first, but here's my roster, right? It's a super flex league. It's 12 team, it's PPR and 0.25 points per carry. And it's a tight end premium, but you don't have to start a tight end. You can start a wide end, wide receiver or tight end. So here's my roster. I got Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson, and Jalen Hurts as my quarterbacks. <laughs> I got Aaron Jones, J.K. Dobbins, Jonathan Taylor, uh, and Saquon Barkley and James Robinson as my running backs. And then for my wide receivers, I got A.J. Brown, D.J. Moore, Stephon Diggs, and uh will fuller and michael thomas uh, so like and i still have a 1.09 and 2.01 in this year's rookie draft so like that team is going to dominate I, I might not win every year but for the next three to five years if i just manage it the right way i'm going to dominate that league and nobody's going to have a chance because i still have rookie picks so like that that's the type of team you can you can build in the dynasty you have no shot of doing that in redraft ever so that's the beauty of dynasty you stick with it for two to three years and you really just honing on the game and just just honing on your craft and just really like trading is how it's built like the draft is great but the draft doesn't win you anything trading is how it's win. it's won pay attention to how to exit and enter players don't be the guy that like drafts a team and then forgets about it. that's why i don't care about longevity like i care about you know player values but this is the this is the time man like the dynasty is the only place you can do it and the amount of satisfaction that you feel when you build a team like that is unmatched by any other format of fantasy so that's why you got to try it so i got to stick with it and you know if you fuck up in your first year do not get discouraged i was horrible horrible in my first year as a dynasty player right but you learn as you go along the way and, and as you play more leagues as you listen to like podcasts and then pick out the guys that, that you really trust two or three guys that you want to go for you know so maybe that's 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 you guys uh steph and, and you know a couple others don't like get too flooded with information because there's a lot of shitty content out there. So don't get flooded by that, but just pick up a guy you trust. And most importantly, like do your own research, man. It's your, it's your own league, right? Don't, don't blame an analyst for your decision, right? That's you. Don't be a coward. Like just take ownership of your decision and do the research yourself and don't blame anyone else because when you fuck it up, you know what? Look, I fucked up and I want to learn from that. But when you hit it, it's all you, right? You take credit for all that. And it's a, it's like a very satisfying and rewarding uh, process. All, all Dynasty players are analysts in their own way. There you have it, folks. Mike laying the hammer down. Here's to LaVisca Chenault 2021. And we'll see y'all next time. Peace.